0: Let's take a moment and uh, let's pray and ask God to use his word, because his word is uh, holy and it is powerful, but let's ask him to use it in our lives today to help us in this whole area of, wor- of worry and anxiety, because it's common to all of us. Jesus talked about it, and we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount um, in the book of Matthew, so if you want to get a Bible out, you can begin to turn to that, but... Um, we want to pray and ask God to help us because um, he doesn't want us filled with worry and anxiety. He makes that very clear in his teachings, and yet we're filled with worry and anxiety. So, so we've got to get this straight, and we've got to ask for God's help because otherwise uh, we're helpless against this. So let's pray together. God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for being here with us to help us. You are our helper. You, you come and you invite us to bring our burdens to you, and we're so grateful for that. Help us to understand this morning how your word can transform us, can change us. Help us not to leave here the same as when we walked in this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers and you answer them according to your perfect will. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So I've pictured anxiety as kind of like a sickness, as an illness now some people have it to great degrees other people have it in lesser degrees but we all we all catch it sometimes Some of us have it for long periods of time. It's like a a, a long illness. Others have it for a short period, and then things are resolved or whatever. But it is something that we all have in common, and Jesus knew this. Jesus is, is such a great God because he came and he became fully God but fully man at the same time so he could experience life. And one of the things that he preached about in the Gospels, when he preached that famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, has to do with worry and anxiety. And he really shows us that there's a cure for it. We don't have to stay sick. We don't have to always be sick. That he offers us a cure. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, the one in the, in the pew there, it's page 860, but if you turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 6, I want to read his words, and then we're going to talk through what we can learn from those words Here this morning. So, Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 25. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So consider or think about the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap, Or gather into barns. Yet, your heavenly father, and we've been learning about the heavenly father these last few weeks, your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add even one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Can you? Can you add one moment by worrying? Answer it. Okay, all right. right. Jesus is asking, right? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers in the field, how they grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in his splendor, he was a great king of, the richest king of, of, of Israel, in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into a furnace tomorrow. Won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. We're going to talk about that this morning. So don't worry, he says again, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles or the other nations earnestly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father, knows that you need them but so instead of worrying but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own amen All right, those are the words of Jesus. We pray that we would learn from these words this morning and be changed. Now, let's just define worry. Worry, first of all, is defined as that anxious feeling that comes from assuming responsibility over disturbing situations or troubles that we feel we should fix or need to be fixed, or we need to resolve, It's that feeling of uncertainty over actual or real problems. Sometimes we we perceive problems that aren't really there. They might happen, and so we begin to worry. But we worry and we feel anxious when we allow our minds to dwell on difficulty and troubles that are happening or that might happen. Now, the word dwell is important there because it's a similar word to that word, abide. Jesus says, abide in me. You are the, you are, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, right? So this dwelling is, is, is like, like living in constant connection with your difficulty or your trouble. And that's what makes it exhausting, right? Is that you can't stop thinking about it. It's, it's just constant. It's always there. And it's, it, it, it's like you're living with the trouble. So this is not good for us. And the reason Jesus addresses it is because he knows it's not good for us. You've heard the expression, he's worried sick about it. Haven't you? She's worried sick about that. Because worry is like a sickness. It's something that really begins to affect us. And I believe that worry is actually having a deep effect on the church today. We are not as effective in this world because we are sick with worry. I see it all around me. I see it even within me. It's taking the joy out of following Christ. And we want to stop that. We want to stop it in its tracks. We want to begin to reverse it. We want to begin to live in the joy of life, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Worry is an obstacle that keeps getting in the way. So we carry around this weight, like Tanya and the kids illustrated this morning, that we were not meant to carry, and we definitely weren't meant to carry it alone. In fact, in Proverbs 12, verse 25, it tells us this, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. So we can help each other with anxiety because we can bring a good word. And I hope that God's word this morning is a good word for you because it will begin to cheer our hearts and help us not to feel so weighed down. We can help each other as believers in God's word to remember what God has said and to put it into practice. For instance, the Bible tells us a lot of really practical things and ways to deal with it. Luke 21 verse 34 says, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled From, and then it lists three things, carousing, drunkenness, and worries, the worries of life. So carousing and drunkenness, we'll leave for a different sermon, right? But today we're talking about worries, and this says, don't let your mind be dulled by worry. Anybody of you feel like sometimes you're just Dull? Like, you can't really think straight. You're kind of like, your, your mind is a little fuzzy. It's kind of like in the old days when you tried to tune your radio. Now everything's different. But, but, or your TV, and it would, it would just be that white fuzz. Some of you are living in that, that dullness of mind, because worry is having that effect on you. Keeping our minds focused on God and clear is what God has for us. Another, another passage that we studied when we studied the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12 says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now you say, well, the word worry isn't in there. Well, the word worry is intended with the word hinder. Right? The things that hinder you, the things that get in the way. So worry gets in the way, it hinders me, keeps me from running the race that God intended me to run because I keep being distracted by my worries and by my fears and by my anxiety. Another thing that worry does to us is it gives us heart trouble. Right? It gives us heart trouble. Jesus had to actually say, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says this in the Gospels, John 14, verse 1. Don't let your heart be troubled. And then he says, trust in God and trust also in me because he is God. So there's a connectedness there that I want us to begin to understand this morning so that our worries don't become the obstacles and the things that keep us from growing and running this race that Jesus has set out for us. Because according to Scripture, worrying... Is choosing not to trust in God. And I know that feels hurtful. What do you mean? I'm not trusting in God. Well, worrying is showing something about your trust in God. The Bible's full of examples that point us to the cure for this. And I will tell you, it's not as simple as just saying to yourself, stop worrying. It's just not that easy, right? It's not, it's not designed you know, th- that way. Isaiah 12, v- verse 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength, and he's my song, and he has become my salvation. Right? So you have, you have here in this verse this, this solution, this way of bringing about a change by making the Lord your strength, making the Lord your song, making the Lord your salvation. Psalm 56 verse 3 also says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. So when I am afraid, it's not saying I'm never afraid, I'm not afraid, but when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Something's taking place in these verses. Some truth is being revealed for us that if we can begin to put it into practice, this obstacle of worry will come down may not be eliminated completely. There may be times when it still comes back, but we will have a strategy, a way that God has placed in his word to guide us and lead us. So these verses give us a clue, but let's focus on the words of Jesus himself here in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically verse 33. He talks about all the different things that you could worry about. Your food, your clothing, you know, all these these things. What you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. But in verse 33 of our passage this morning, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God. So there are these other things in life. But seek first the kingdom of God. And I believe that we're healed from the sickness of worry The cure comes about not by demanding that we be perfect and live perfect lives and stop worrying. That's not the cure. The cure is seeking the kingdom of God. And actually, it's a deeper, more intimate knowledge of the king himself. So seeking a deeper knowledge of God, of Christ. I don't know if you've heard, if you listen to worship songs or YouTube or whatever, but there's this this song that's out right now, it's... And it has this line in it. And the line is, the king is in the room. And there's just something about when when that line is sung that just blesses my soul. The king is in the room. And if we could gain that vision and and gain that reality that Jesus is with us, it begins to change the obstacle of worry. It begins to, to break it down and begin to remove that wall. As I said earlier, Jesus has said, come to me when you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give it to you. The reason why Jesus says that is because Jesus is the kingdom personified. He is the kingdom even within himself. He brought the kingdom here to earth. He functioned within the kingdom. Before we can seek the kingdom of God, we have to understand the king of that kingdom. Otherwise, why would we seek it? We have to begin to develop a relationship with Him. Otherwise, why would we be drawn to Him and desire more of Him? The kingdom is so important to Jesus that He mentions it 126 times in the Gospels. He's constantly talking about the kingdom. He clearly wants our focus on the kingdom, our attention and our gaze to be on the kingdom. However, this kingdom is not a place like Windsor Castle. It's not floating around in the the clouds somewhere. The kingdom of God, in the Bible, at least according to Scripture, is God's God's rule and reign in our lives. His His liberating rule. Now, liberating means that the, the rule of God brings freedom. It's not a harsh. He's not a harsh dictator, right? He brings freedom. He brings joy because he can be trusted. Because he is faithful, because he is all loving, because he is all kind, because he is patient, he brings this freedom into our lives. So when we talk about the rule and reign of a king, don't get the wrong idea that he's some harsh and rule. He is a king who comes to bring joy, a king who comes to bring freedom, a king who has brought salvation to us. I want you to hear the words, and you can turn there if you want to, to Colossians chapter 1. In the book of Colossians, the king is described by the writer of this book. Let me find it. It's page 1042, if you want to look in the Bible there with me. I want you to see a little bit into the heavenly view of what the king is like. We can start in verse 13 because it says, This king, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son, the Son who he loves, that being Christ. In him we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And here's the description. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. So that he might come to have first place in everything. First place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ. And through Christ to reconcile everything to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the king King Jesus, that we are drawn to because of his grace and his mercy and his power to save us. In order to understand how to seek first the kingdom of God, we have to understand the Son of God, because that is how we enter into relationship with the King of God, the King of the universe, King himself, King Jesus. So God's redemptive rule and reign was sent through Christ And he saved us through the cross. First and foremost, that's how we seek God. Through his salvation and through his grace and mercy on the cross. And he, and only he, is to be our king. But the problem is, there are other things that want to be king in our lives. They want to share the throne, or they want to usurp the throne. They want the throne. That's the problem. So as we read through Jesus' sermon here on the mount, it is no surprise that the issue of worry that he's talking about here, starting in verse 25, actually comes right on the heels of his mention of money. I know, y'all just took a big gulp. We're going to talk about money. Yeah, we are. We're going to look at this for a moment because it's important Look at verse 24. So we started in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about all these things in your life, right? But look at verse 24. Now, this is one sermon. It just happens that we divided it up, or we, we didn't. The Bible, uh, re- the people who wrote the Bible and put it into English for us, put it in these categories and made a little break there. But if we read it all as one thing, it would make more sense. It starts in verse 24. It says, no one can serve Two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, that's why the therefore is there, I tell you, don't worry about your life. And then he talks about things that money can buy, right? Your food, your drink, and your clothing, right? Your, your, your necessities, we'd call them. He says, don't worry about those things. But just before he says, don't worry, he compares the two. And he calls them both a master. God is a master or money is a master. But you can't serve both masters. You can't have both kings. They can't both be first because someone has to be second. They're not going to share the throne. So one will be there over the other. In this instance, Jesus is referring to money and God, but this principle actually applies to anything else, and really anyone else. So we could just focus in on money, but let's not. Let's realize that Scripture teaches us certain principles, but they can be applied in many different areas of our life because we're meant to be worshipers. We were created to worship. You see it. You just look at the globe. Look at people of all nations and nationalities and tribes. They all worship something. There's really nobody out there not worshiping anything except those who think they're not worshiping anything, but they're then actually worshiping themselves, their own thoughts, their own atheism or agnosticism. So... We have to figure this thing out so that we have worship in the right place in our lives. And we're worshiping the right one. Otherwise, we'll worship something else. There's no neutral ground. So to be cured of worry and anxiety in this area, you've got to realize, first of all, there's only one king who can rule your life. Just one. Or one at a time, I could say. The easiest way to find out what master we're worshiping is to look at our hearts, which is not a popular thing to do. A lot of us avoid looking inward at our hearts. When we had that long time of silence before communion, for many of us, it was very uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with that silence. I don't know what to do during that time. Well, our hope is that you'll You'll learn to pray and you'll learn to commune with god and you'll learn to listen so that's why we stop talking so that god can speak the spirit can speak to your heart and direct you and help you because that's what he's here for but a lot of us don't like that we like noise we like headphones and music pounding and we, we, we like we like a lot of noise because a lot of noise drowns out some stuff that we don't want to face But we need to face it. Look at what it says in verse 21, going backwards a little bit. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Till we can tell what we're worshiping by what's in our hearts. That's where we keep our treasure. And even good things can become false kings can become masters over us. It's whatever we spend the most of our time and effort and energy and breath and resources on, that's ultimately what our treasure is. Therefore, we have to ask Jesus. We have to ask him to be our master, to rule and reign in our lives. Because if we don't, something else will. Many other things would like to. So you need to ask yourself in those quiet moments with God, God, what am I worshiping? Where is my focus in life? What is ultimately, what am I ultimately after? If it's financial gain or security, it could be the approval of people. It could be a position. It could be power or influence. It also can be good feelings. Feeling good. Being happy. If you make being happy the king of your life, you have removed Christ from that position. Only he can bring true happiness and joy anyway. But there are many people who are seeking things in life to give them peace, to give them happiness, to give them joy. They're seeking the next high because the other high has worn off already. It can be shopping therapy. It can be marijuana. It can be alcohol. It can be uh, more movies, more TV, more entertainment. It can be greater vacations, longer cruises. It can be all kinds of things to fill your life. And you're seeking after some kind of happiness that you need. No, out there. But every time you're finished with one of those things, whether it's that drink or that, that cruise or whatever, when you're finished, life still feels empty. And that's why you say, well, I got to plan another one. I got to do another one. I got to have more. And it's a constant slavery to that feeling of happiness, of just making sure my life makes me happy and that other people make me happy. And our emotions can be sitting on that throne of our lives. As long as I'm happy, I'm good. But if I have a bad situation or difficulty, my world falls apart. So we can make a king out of that as well. In fact, I think many of us do. The problem with having multiple kings is that Jesus is never satisfied with half-hearted worship, where you're kind of like, you kind of love him, and you kind of love someone else. You're sort of in love. I mean, would your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend be okay with that? Like, I sort of love you, honey, but I sort of love these things as well. Sort of, you're kind of like equal with these other things. Even in a human relationship, that wouldn't fly. She'd be like, um, there's the door. Bye-bye. You know, hopefully not. But, but you know what I mean? It's, it, that's not love. That's not the kind of love that God craves from us. He wants our whole hearts and our whole devotion to him. And that's hard for us. It's hard for us because we get distracted. We are called to seek first his rule and his reign in our lives. He's not just here for disaster relief. I think God often gets put in that category. As long as my life's good, I'm good. I don't really need much of God. I don't need to seek him much. I don't need to read the Bible too much. I don't need to go to prayer meeting because life is good. But then disaster happens and it's disaster relief, God. Come and relieve me from this disaster. And so he comes and he does what only God can do. He brings his resources to your aid and he he loves you and he pulls you through and he draws you through. And then, like Israel did many times in the Old Testament, you forget all about him because life is good again until you need disaster relief again. It's a process that we are made to grow out of. We may be like that as immature believers, but as we grow and mature in Christ, that should change because Our reward is God himself. Remember I said that last week? We are called to be satisfied by the king. He should satisfy us. And not temporarily. While we have a disaster to solve. And then once the disaster is solved, he no longer satisfies us. Ay, 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 God, change our hearts. Change us. Let me just ask this question. When's the last time you just sat in God's presence? Or maybe you were walking in the woods or something. You don't have to be sitting to do it. But, but just experience the presence of God just for the joy of it, just for the, the peace and the, the tranquility that it brings into your life. You weren't asking him for stuff. You weren't crying about your situations. You're just with him. When was the last time you had that? Because God is the only one that can satisfy our souls. So we got to answer this question. How do we seek and be satisfied by this king? How does it happen? Well, fortunately, we're not left to just make up answers to that. We have the entire Bible, which is designed... To draw us into a closer relationship with God. It tells us great stories about who God is and and what he has done. The greatest of those stories is, is Jesus Christ Himself, who died to save us. But we are to be satisfied with Him. And so we need to pray. We've been talking about prayer for the last couple of weeks. We need to develop a prayer life with a God who we know, a God who we trust, because He's the God of scriptures, He's the God of promises. And we need to read the Word. We need to spend time meditating on it, not let it be only on a Sunday when the pastor brings it to us, but on a Monday and a Tuesday and all the other days of the week as well. Because that helps us to be more satisfied with God. See, God has revealed himself through his Word. However, before you can read it correctly, you need to be taught how to read it, and we have the Holy Spirit To do that for us, the Holy Spirit, which is God Himself, Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, helps us to understand the Word because it's not just an academic experience. So, in order to invite the Holy Spirit into that role of being our teacher, there's a few things we have to do. Let's go over these before we go home. Number one, we need to confess and repent of the other masters. In other words, you can't keep that girlfriend and marry that girl. different girl, right? No one would no one would want that. You got to repent. You got to say, "Okay, no longer in love with that one. I'm going to be fully in love with you." I want to repent of that. The Bible's very clear that we are to have one God. From the beginning to the end, There is commandment after commandment to get rid of false idols, false gods, false kings. Get rid of them. Destroy them. You don't need them. They will never satisfy you. There's one God who can satisfy you. If there's anything in our lives that we're treasuring more than Christ, bring it to him and confess. Be honest. Remember last week I said, just be the real you. Tell God you're in love with that thing. And that you don't want to be anymore. And it keeps drawing you back. Tell him about the struggle. He's not afraid. He's going to help you with that. Don't try to hide it. If you have another master or another idol that you're hiding in a closet, God knows it's there anyway. Repent of it. Jesus called for repentance. Repent because the kingdom of God is near, he said. It's at hand. The reason we have to repent of it is because if we don't eliminate those other kings, those other false gods, they fill a space in us. They don't fill us and satisfy us, but they fill a space. It's a little bit like junk food. So junk food's like this. Bad for you, lots of sugar, high in calories, but low in satisfaction, right? Right? If you fill up on junk food just before dinner every night, so so say at 4:45, you eat like a package of Oreos, a bag of Doritos, four or five Cokes, and then go to the table. And on the table is like delicious salad, some salmon, some you know maybe some asparagus, uh, nice clear water, you know just just things that are going to be good for you, nutritious for you, help you to. You're not going to eat. You're going to be like, oh, that looks good, but mm, I'm full. Now, you're full of junk. I could have used a different (laughs) word. You're full of junk, and so you're not... Able to be satisfied. So that's why repentance is so important because you have to eliminate the things that are getting in the way, the things that are, that are the false things that get in the way that actually don't fill you and don't help you to be healthy and grow. You have to eliminate those things. And you do that not on your own strength, but just bringing them to God. God, I have done this. I need help with this. God, you know my struggle is here. Help me. Heal me. Make me whole, fix me whatever whatever word you want to use, but it 's important that we confess and make him our one and only. The second thing is when those anxieties, those fears, those troubles come back, we have to learn how to cast them back on God, how to like like they did with the backpack here, how to Bring them to God. So, number two is cast or release or submit. All of those fears and those anxieties and those emotions bring them to God. First Peter actually is, is where that, that phrase comes from, the casting phrase. I want, you to, I want you to hear it in context, so I'll read it for you here in a second, as soon as I get to it. First Peter 5. First Peter 5 says this um, I want to find the right verse Be sober minded and alert. Oh, nope, I went too far. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your cares on him. And that's not the end of the sentence. It says, because he cares for you. You cast your cares on him. He's not like, oh, sheesh, not again. You know, that's how I picture, you know, the distortions that are in my mind. I have to have the word tell me otherwise. God is not annoyed by your problems. He's not annoyed by your worrying. He's not. He loves you. He cares for you. And because he cares for you, he wants to lift you up out of that place. He doesn't want to leave you there. Week after week, year after year, I've always been this way. I've always struggled with it. That's That's not God's will for your life. Yes, do you go through struggles and trouble and, and, and temptations? Yes. But to live underneath all that heaviness, that is not God's will for you. So not only must we repent of our sins, bring them to him. We have to bring them again and again, casting them back on him. Because he cares for us. Come as you are in order to seek the kingdom of God. You don't have to change yourself before you can seek the kingdom of God. You can come as you are with that whole big mess and just keep asking God, be my master, be my king, be the one who leads and guides me. One thing we have to learn to do is to walk by faith, not by feelings. Walk by faith, not by feelings. Our feelings would love to be on the throne, would love to rule our lives. And at times they do, right? Often we see it in other people before we see it in ourselves. We see, like, oh wow, she's going crazy. She's so mad, she's so. This, this, this. It's like, yeah, 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 but you're the same way, right? Maybe you look different when you do it, but you, you do the same thing. You let your emotions rule you when really Christ desires to free you and liberate you and rule your life. So we need to walk by faith in what he's able to do because he's the one who will change us. He's the one that can set us free. He's the one that can, can make the change last so it's not a temporary fix. It's a lasting, maturing, growing fix. Number three is walk by faith. So we're going to confess and repent. We're going to cast our cares again and again on him. Because he cares for us, he doesn't get annoyed with us. And then we're going to walk by faith. See, in order to seek first the kingdom, we have to walk in faith. In Matthew 6, Jesus speaks directly to the heart of anxiety. He knows it's a real emotion. He knows it's something we have to deal with or he wouldn't even talk about it. But he attacks it in an interesting way. He gets the focus off of you for a minute and says, look at the birds. Are they worried? Look at the flowers of the field. Are they worried? You know, the answer is no, right? And the, why, why? Why are they not worried? Do you remember from the passage? Look, look down there and cheat if you want. Why are the birds not worried and flowers not worried? Because God takes care of them. That's right. That's basically what it says. Because God's taking care of them. And then he says, And how much more does he love you or will he care for you? This should relieve 99% of our anxiety. Nothing's 100% because... We're all a work in progress, right? But that should help us in our focus when we live in that faith. Knowing that God's going to take care of us means when it looks like something bad is happening or when something really is happening that's bad, because sometimes it's perceived and sometimes it really is, we say to God and say to ourselves, but God, I know you've got this. I know you care and love me. And I know that you will help me. It's who you are. It's who God is. He never fails us. He never leaves us. He does not turn his back on us. All because of Jesus. All because of God's love. And see, the, the, the thing there, the thing that we need to realize is that Jesus addresses, he reveals the real cause of worry in these verses, look at verse 30. It's our last verse to look at here this morning. Verse 30. Near the end of it, right? So he's, talking, he's just finishing up talking about the flowers and the grass and how it gets thrown into a furnace. But here's what he says. Won't God do much more for you? You of little faith. He says this so many times to his disciples, and he says it to us. You of little faith. In other words, you're not believing enough about God. You don't know how big God is. You're doubting that he has the power or ability to help you when he has unlimited power and unlimited abilities to help you. But when you're of little faith, when you've got that little thing going on, that's when you worry because you forgot who your God is, who your heavenly father is, and how he feels about you. So let's remind one another as a community, let's put our confidence in God's word, in who he says he is. And as we walk through life, the ups and downs, the troubles and the the triumphs, let's remember who God is. He never changes. And our faith should increase. And it's okay to pray for more faith. There's an example in the the gospels of that where, where someone says, I have faith, but God, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. There's parts of me that aren't quite where they should be. But I know I need help. And so I'll pray and ask for that help. We're going to worship here in a moment. And I want to just leave you with this line, even if this is what you take and write in your journal. or write, but, but I want you to understand this. You cannot worry and truly worship at the same time. Try it. You'll go crazy. You really can't. To truly worship means to see God as he reveals himself to be, Father in heaven who loved us so much. He sent his one and only son for us to die for us so that we could be free to have relationship with him. And all that that relationship entails, all the benefits, all the, the, the joy, all everything, See, if we worship God for who He really is, that worry, obstacle will get less and less and less and less. In fact, when you find yourself anxious, worrying, troubled, put on some worship. You got it on your phone, you got it in your house, you got it in your car, whatever. Put on some worship and really push yourself into that arena. Say, God, I'm struggling here, but I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to sing these songs of worship. I'm going to believe who you are. You'll see the difference. You will. You'll experience the difference. It makes a difference because these two things can't coexist. Now, not that that's the secret to the whole thing. We went back over what those things were. Confessing, believing, walking in the fullness of God.